series uh, called Redefined. <clears throat> I look at the Sermon on the Mount, and I hope you've been enjoying this series. I know as a preaching team, we have been having a lot of fun just studying and prepping for these talks. If you've missed any of the uh, talks that we've done, you can go to vcdc.org, and there's loads of sermons there. There's loads of information about the church. Uh, and we also have free CDs out on the info counter um, uh, that are there for you. And, and again, in this sermon that Jesus is giving, do you remember, who is Jesus speaking to? Who is he teaching? <laughs> Let's go back to the beginning. No, so he's teaching his followers, right? He's called his disciples. Obviously, there's a bunch of other people listening, but he's teaching his followers, and he's teaching them this is how my people live. This is what my people look like. And, and so today, the, uh, the passage that we're going to be looking at uh, talks about adultery, lust, marriage, and divorce. And I'm going to hit all those in 40 minutes or less. So you need to give me a little bit of slack. But I, uh, I want to make a little disclaimer right off the top. Uh, parents, parents, this may not be a talk for young ears because I'm gonna be using some specific language that, will, uh, that may stir up conversations that uh, you may or may not be ready to have with your little ones. So if you're here and you have little ones in the room and uh, you're like, yeah, I don't think this, or you know, I don't wanna take the chance, just know that our children's, I let them know about this and they have someone there ready if you wanna go check your kids in or your teenager in or, uh, or leave. <laughs> so, okay, there's my disclaimer. Now here we go. All right, so in, uh, I'm going to address these topics, the topics, those four topics I gave. I'm going to address them through the lens of our sexuality. And I realize in saying that, that could mean like 50 different things in this day and age. And so here's what I mean. I want to look at these topics through the lens of how we express our sexuality in light of God's intent for our sexual expression. So that may not totally make sense yet, but it will be very clear by the end of this talk. It's helpful uh, right off the top to remember that sex is not our idea. This is God's idea. Uh, we didn't think this up. Sex is a wonderful gift that God has given, uh, given to humanity. But like any gift, uh, uh, gifts come with parameters. And like many gifts, if we don't follow the parameters, the guidelines of that gift, even the most wonderful gift can become dangerous. So to sort of set the tone and, and get a, a, a word picture that I think is going to help us as we move on, let's say, let's say that sex is like fire. All right, that's probably a good, a good word for it. Let's say that sex is like fire. So fire, fire is a wonderful thing. Fire is a very useful thing. Let's go to that first picture. Uh, fire, uh, when it's contained like this, it gives us light. Fire uh, sets atmosphere. Uh, let's go to the next picture. Fire, a fireplace, there's some, it gives us warmth. If you've got a wood stove at home, the fire in that wood stove can cook food. It can you know, boil water. Uh, next picture, uh, there's something about a fire pit, right? There's something just that draws people to gather around a fire pit. Who loves to just sit and stare at flames? Yeah. Wow, we should start a club. I love... I love doing that. It is uh, therapy. So fire is amazing, uh, incredibly useful. It's wonderful. But what happens, what happens when fire isn't restrained? 
What happens when fire breaks its boundaries? Let's go to the next picture. It quickly becomes super destructive. Last year in British Columbia, three and a half million acres of trees were consumed by forest fires. Let's go to the next picture. When fire is unrestrained, it can cause damage that can take years to repair. This is from Paradise, California. Last year they had major fires, wiped out whole neighborhoods of homes. So fire, unrestrained fire, is incredibly dangerous. Proverbs 29.18 says this. When people do not accept divine guidance, when people do not accept God's restraints, they run wild. But whoever obeys the law is joyful. And we live at a time in history when human sexuality is increasingly unrestrained. Would you not agree? You can light fires anywhere and with anyone you want to, if you're tracking with me. Uh, but that is not God's plan. We have strayed from God's implant, from his plan, from his intent for our expression of our sexuality. And what we're increasingly seeing is the fallout from that unrestrained fire. And we're seeing that in individuals. We're seeing it hurting uh, relationships, marriages, etc. So today, as we look at this passage, uh, God wants to teach us, remind us, and call us back to a place of expressing our sexuality within the parameters that he has established. So let's pray, and then we'll jump in. So Lord, thanks for, uh, thank you so much for your presence here today. Lord, as we're singing those songs, trying to, trying to capture how amazing you are, I, I, I thank you for that weight, that wonderful weight of your presence that's in the room, or just that reminder that you're with us, and I pray today, way beyond what I'm going to say, I pray that you would come. You would come and just walk among us. Lord, you're our Father. You love us. Come and, come and Father us today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Matthew 5 is where we're going to be. Matthew 5, 27 to 32. If you've got a Bible or on your smartphone, you can go there. If you don't have a Bible, we have them at the front. And also at the back on the sound booth, please feel free to grab a Bible. But I'm going to read the whole section we're going to be looking at today. Matthew 5, 27, Jesus said this. He said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. All right. So I'm not going to work through this passage from top to bottom. I'm going to jump around a little bit. And so we're going to be starting with the last two verses, 31 and 32. And I want to start there because this is going to help us establish uh, God's intent, his original intent for the expression of our sexuality. And so number one in your notes, if you're a note taker, is God's intent. That's a shocker. God's intent. So let me read those two verses again. It has been said, <clears throat> anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. 
and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, uh, right off the top, I realize in talking about marriage and divorce in church that I've just walked into like an emotional minefield. And for some of you, just the word divorce stirs up pain, stirs up anger, uh, stirs up uh, shame. And, and so I want to be very sensitive to that. So let me start off just by, by saying this. Uh, as a church, <clears throat> our goal is to be biblical in everything that we do. And uh, uh, in the Bible, the Bible makes it clear that God allows for, makes room for divorce when there has been unfaithfulness to the marriage covenant. So it's kind of like one size fits all, but it is not one size fits all because we also understand that every situation, every marital you know, struggle, etc., cetera, is, is incredibly unique. So in talking about marriage and divorce, I want you to know that unless there is danger to individuals, here at VCDC, we fight for marriages. We come alongside struggling marriages because we believe that God is the miracle worker and that God can rescue and restore and heal uh, a, a broken marriage, but we also understand that some marriages do end in, rever- uh, in, in divorce. And there's a verse in Malachi 2 that you may be familiar with where it makes this bold statement, God hates divorce. And there's some of you here today that what you need to hear is that what that doesn't say is God hates people who get divorced. God hates divorce. He hates the destruction and the pain caused by divorce. And so while we fight for marriages and their restoration, we also want to come alongside uh, those who have gone through a divorce for your healing, your restoration. So just want to say that off the top. Okay, looking back at the passage, we see that divorce isn't just a 20 or 21st century struggle. Uh, in fact, in the first century, divorcing, if I can turn it into a verb, divorcing was, was out of control. And to understand the culture that Jesus was giving this sermon to, we need to give a little bit of background. And if you've been here for this series, you know that we've been talking a lot about laws and rules and commands that God gave to the people of Israel in the Old Testament. And uh, in fact, if you add them all up, there's 613 uh, laws, rules, commands that God gave his people. And, And he gave them to them to say, look, you're my people. Here's how I want you to live. Here's how I want you to treat each other. Like you're a holy people. I've called you out from the, from the other peoples of the world. I want people to look at you and see something different in you because you're walking to the beat of my drum, not to the beat of the, of the culture's drum. So I've given you all these rules and regulations as, 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 an, as identity markers, but also for your protection. And when you look at all those uh, 613 laws, rules, regulations, etc., there are two that, that specifically refer to divorce. Uh, one of them is Exodus 21, 10 and 11, and we're not going to go there, but that's, I know some of you are taking notes, Exodus 21, 10 and 11, but where we are going to go is Deuteronomy 24, and we're going to go here because this is the, the law that Jesus is referring to in, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, so let me, let me read this. So this is a, a law that God gave in the Old Testament to his people. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him, because he finds something indecent about her and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house. And if after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, 
gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. Now, that is one sentence. That's a long sentence. I'm sure they had lawyers to sort of walk you through that. But what I want to focus in on is just the part there that's underlined. Uh, I'll read it again. If a man marries a woman, who becomes displeasing to him? Okay, I'm focusing in on that because, uh, because that was a key point when we talk about the law and interpreting the law. Remember, remember uh, we've been saying this a lot in this series. Uh, first century Jewish people, they had rabbis, they had Pharisees, teachers of the law whose job was, amongst many things, was to say, here's God's law, here's God's command, now let me interpret that to you. Here's what it means, and, and here's how you walk that out. And in this little section, who becomes displeasing to him, there were, there were two primary uh, interpretations of this, of this law that God has given, and they came from two famous rabbis. They were uh, Rabbi Shammai and Rabbi Hillel. Let's welcome them. No. Okay. <laughs> They're dead, but I just thought that would be fun. We tried to get them. No response. Okay, but they, these two rabbis had two very different uh, interpretations of that. Rabbi Shammai was like, displeasing means simply uh, uh, adultery, right? My wife has become displeasing to me because she's been with another man. That's, that was his interpretation. Rabbi Hillel, on the other hand, was like wide open. His, his interpretation of displeasing to me was like, like covered everything. You literally, literally, you burnt the dinner, you're displeasing with me, to, to me, out you go, divorced. You, I didn't like the way you talked to my mother, you're displeasing to me, out you go. Uh, uh, you're displeasing to my eyes. I found another woman who's more pleasing to my eyes, out you go, right? Certificate of divorce and you're out of here. Now, in a culture and at a time <clears throat> that was uh, a, a totally male-dominated culture where women were treated like property, which interpretation do you think was more popular? Well, that didn't take you very long. What does it say about you? No, but that's, but it was Hillel, right? And this is the culture that Jesus was, was speaking into. It was a culture that was out of control. The fire was burning outside of the fireplace. The fire was burning out of control. And a little further back in Matthew, a little further on, some of these teachers, some of these Pharisees have gathered around Jesus, who's this young rabbi on the scene, and they're trying to pin him down. And on this very verse, this very passage from Deuteronomy, they're saying, hey, Jesus, which one, you know, what do you believe about displeasing to him? Like, are you for Shammai, or are you, you know, are you Hillel? And, and, uh, and in answering their question, uh, Jesus literally takes them back to the beginning. He takes them back to God's intent. Here's Jesus' response to their question. He says, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female? And I think he's saying, he's, like, he's looking at the teachers going, are you kidding me? Your teachers, haven't you read the manual? Like we're talking page two. It's back in Genesis. He's really getting, you know, haven't you read that at the beginning the creator made the male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And Jesus does what he does so often. People ask him a question and he just, he just answers what he wants to say. Like, so he doesn't really answer the way 
that they were hoping. Like he, he doesn't pick a side. And again, what he does is he goes back to the beginning and he reminds them of God's original intent for marriage and the expression of our sexuality. So fast forward to 2019 for, to us. And we live at a time in history when uh, the definition of marriage is rapidly changing. And so it's important for you to know that here at VCDC, we believe in a traditional biblical view of marriage. And we've got this on the screens. This is based off Genesis 2. Here's what we believe. God designed marriage to be between a man and a woman, two sexually different people who enter into a covenant bond, a commitment of faithfulness to each other. And within the covenant bond of marriage, God blesses them, husband and wife, to express their sexuality, to have sexual relations. There's a picture of God's fireplace. That's his intent for the expression of our sexuality. So therefore, coming off of that, therefore all sex outside of marriage, all sexual expression outside of marriage, whether it's with the opposite sex or with the same sex, all sexual expression outside of marriage is sin. It's not God's plan. And why? Why would God say that? Is that because God is like just the, just the, the, the big killjoy of the universe? Right? Is that why he would say that? No. When you read the law, when you read God's commands, think loving father who looks at his sons and daughters and he says, no, sweetie, you don't play with fire. Because if you play with fire, you're either going to burn yourself or you're going to burn someone else or you're going to burn something down. That's why he says it. He says that to us. He gives us those restrictions, those restraints, because he knows the potential damage of unrestrained fire. Now, compare that to the, to, to the message of our culture. Our culture says you can light fires anywhere and with anyone you want to. Right? Literally, it's, it's a sport. It's recreational fire making, if you will. And we try to act, and the way it's presented, we, it, we act like it's just no big deal. Right? Nobody gets hurt. Nobody gets burned. Is that true? Is that true? That's not true at all. You know, here's a visual. Have you ever seen someone who's been burned? Like, scars from burning, is, it's, it's their unique scars. And let me give you a visual. If we, just in this room today, if we could actually see the scar tissue on each other, from all the burns we've accumulated from the expressing of our sexuality outside of the fireplace of marriage, I think it would be a frightening sight. I think it would be a, 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 a ghoulish sight. We would just be so scarred. Unrestrained fire does incredible damage. And in quoting from Genesis and defining marriage, Jesus, in that definition, he shows us how intimate and sacred the fireplace of marriage is. It, the marriage relationship is unlike any other relationship. You can love your parents. You can, uh, you can love, your, love your siblings. You can love your aunts and uncles. You can love your children. But there is no love as intimate as the love between a, a, a husband and a wife. It's, 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 it's two 
becoming one. And depending on the Bible that you have, you know, uh, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife or be joined to his wife or cleave to his wife. And the Greek word, the Greek word is kola, and here's what it means. It means to unite. Look at that. It means to glue, to glue. That's God's intent. That God's intent is that, that you would leave your father and mother and that you would, you would be glued to your spouse. Like, that's a beautiful picture, right? You'd be glued to them. But doesn't it make sense in seeing God's intent why divorce is so incredibly painful and destructive? When two become one are glued together, and then when one become two. It's so painful because there is a very real tearing that happens. So what was the overflow? What was the result of the people not following God's intent for the expression of their sexuality. Well, we've been reading this. It was rampant adultery and divorce. Again, in a male-dominated society, men were pursuing other women sexually in the process, just abandoning their existing wives, writing up a certificate of divorce, and off you go, next. Sending them away, and, and it was at a time when women had like no options. If I didn't have a husband, I mean, I had like no options for survival. So it's forcing women into another relationship. It's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, 32, he said, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. So how does Jesus address then this issue of adultery? And I'm gonna broaden this because I want this to grab everyone in the room. So whether you're single or married, how does Jesus address our struggle to control our sexuality within the confines of his intent. What does he do? He addresses what fuels our unrestrained fire. Matthew 5, 27. <clears throat> You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And again, if you've been here for this series, you know that in talking about the law, and uh, we've, we've used this terminology, these words, there's the letter of the law, you've heard it said, and then there's where Jesus has come to explain the intent, the heart of the law, but I say to you. So the letter of the law is uh, do not commit adultery. Don't start a fire with someone who isn't your spouse. Uh, that law is right, but in order to obey that law, we need help. Because the problem isn't just on the outside. The problem starts on the inside. And so in Jesus really explaining the intent of the law, he takes it to a much deeper level. He gets at one of the main reasons why we struggle. And he, and he makes the statement, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus is going to the root of the problem. He's going to our thought life, to our thoughts. And so number two in your notes is lust, the silent killer. Lust, the silent killer. Now, uh, uh, our, one of the reasons why our thought life is so dangerous and a, and a real serious thing for us as human beings is because, is because it's, it's hidden. Like I'm looking at you, you're looking at me, and you have no idea what I'm thinking right now. And I don't know what you're thinking. Maybe I don't wanna know what you're thinking. But, but it's hidden, right? It's, it's, it's private. And the thing is, for us as human beings, because it's hidden, we can fall for the lie that, well, as long as I'm not acting on my thoughts, 
As long as I'm not acting on my fantasies, what's the big deal? Because no one's getting hurt. Come on, I'm not, I'm not doing anything. I'm not acting on them. Right, what's the big deal? What, like, I'm not actually uh, you know, doing anything beyond my thoughts. And Jesus would say, really? He would, he would disagree, and here's what he means. Our actions don't start as actions. They start as thoughts. And when thoughts are entertained, they stir up desires. James 1.14 says, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Do you see that progression? Thoughts stir up desires, which stir up actions, which lead to death. Or another way to put it, lustful desires cause destructive fires. We'll be selling bumper stickers in the lobby. But it's true. And what, so what is lust? The dictionary says lust is uncontrolled or illicit sexual desire or appetite. Another definition would be what is lust? Lust is when I'm mentally using someone for my own pleasure. And, and at its core, lust, lust is incredibly selfish. It's incredibly selfish, and it's something that needs to be controlled. And on our own, just on our own, controlling our thought life is a big challenge, isn't it? Now, add to that, add to that that we live at a time and in a culture where, where uh, it's just, we're, we live in a very sensual culture. Like, you can't go through one day of life without being bombarded by, by sensual images, even if you aren't looking for it. You just live life and you're gonna see it because it's part of our culture. It's advertising, it's fashion. And, you know, and here's another reality uh, that takes lust to a whole new level. We live at a time when, when pornography is accessible like, like, it's like, like no other time in the history of man. Right? That, that, like, it is frighteningly accessible. Within seconds right now, I could bring up on my smartphone unbelievable images, unbelievable images. And um, uh, we need to realize that lust, mentally using someone for our own pleasure, lust fueled by pornography, whether it's visual pornography or it's print, it's novels, we need to realize that lust fueled by pornography not only damages the individual looking at it, but it also damages the people around them. And just in preparing for this talk, um, uh, I listened to a Tim Keller talk, which is really smart, <laughs> if you know Tim Keller. And it's called, it was on lust and love. And he quoted from a book uh, called Premarital Sex in America. Uh, these two scientists, they were, they were just studying up and, and they had all these results and, and, and they had these results that he quoted, Tim Keller quoted, regarding this statement. The statement was, pornography won't affect your relationships because it's a private thing. And listen what they found. I'm gonna, hit, I'm gonna hit three points. First one, here's what they found. People who use pornography, men or women, have crushingly unrealistic, unrealistic expectations regarding physical appearance and sexual performance. Well, that makes sense. If you're looking at airbrushed pictures that are not real. And it also makes sense that when I, if I was to watch something over and over and over, if I was to read something over and over and over, suddenly the twisted, the bizarre, the many shades of gray 
suddenly become the norm, don't they? That's just how our brains work. They also said uh, a significant number of male porn users experience a diminished tolerance for the difficulties of real relationships, and it shrinks the marriage pool for women. Like, when I read that, I thought, what? What? Like, I had to read it through a few times, and then I realized, you know, what they're saying is, is that when someone is looking at pornography, and let's, let's just call it what it is, someone who is looking at pornography, typically then, and, and masturbation is part of that. When someone is looking at pornography, what's happening is, what are they nurturing within themselves? They are nurturing selfish sexual experience. Meaning, where the person is in total control of getting what they want, when they want, and there is no resistance to their fulfillment. Now, why is that dangerous? That's dangerous because if you're gonna be married, and if you're gonna have a healthy marriage, you know that there's resistance. You know that there's times you gotta work things through as a couple. You know that to have a healthy marriage, the focus needs to be on we, not on me. Right? And this kind of selfish sexual experience does not prepare a person for the work it takes to have a healthy marriage. One more. All women, they argue, are increasingly being forced to accommodate sexual behaviors and their appearances to the images and style of pornography. So because of the influence of porn, lust, not love, selfishness, not servanthood, is being brought into the bedroom. Selfish sexual expectations is doing major damage to God's intent for marital intimacy. I just have one more thing to read, and this is an article, we don't have a slide for it, but just this is about the destructive power of pornography. This is from a professor, uh, Marianne Layden, University of Pennsylvania, here's what she says. She says, porn is the most concerning thing to psychological health that I know of existing today. Pornography addicts have, have a more difficult time recovering from their addiction than cocaine addicts, since coke users can get the drug out of their system, but pornographic images stay in the brain forever. The internet is a perfect drug delivery system. It's anonymous, 24-7, and free. And children know how to use it, the internet, better than their parents. It's a perfect delivery system if we want to have a whole generation of young addicts. Now, why am I hitting this so hard? Like, I mean, even in prepping for this talk, I thought, I don't know if I've ever given a talk like this. Well, you know why I'm hitting it hard? Because this is a very real problem. What I'm talking about in pornography and, and all these things, it, it is a global epidemic. And it literally is burning down homes. And, and, I'm, and I'm hitting it hard because I know some of you struggle with it. Some of you would say, I'm addicted to it. I can't stop. Or if it's not you, it's someone close to you. And I'm also hitting it hard because I, I believe I'm being honest to the text. I believe I'm, I'm following Jesus' example by hitting this hard. Listen what he says. Listen, listen to his, uh, his, his uh, plan for how to deal with our lustful thoughts. Matthew 5, 29. This is what Jesus says. If your right eye causes you to stumble gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. 
It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, is Jesus saying, so the way you deal with lustful thoughts is to mutilate your body? Is that what he's saying? Of course not. Of course not. What he's saying, this is like classic hyperbole. What he's saying is, if you're sitting in the living room and a fire breaks out in your kitchen and you smell the smoke and the fire alarm's going and you see flames licking up onto the ceiling, you don't sit there and go, oh, I should probably do something about that. Well, maybe tomorrow. Right? What he's saying is, no, this is an area of your life that could potentially destroy you and those around you. So you need to be ruthless and aggressive in the way you deal with it. So number three in our notes is a serious danger calls for a serious response. So if our unrestrained sexual expression is fueled by lustful thoughts, how do we deal with lustful thoughts? First thing. We need to clarify when have we actually crossed the line in our thought life into having lustful thoughts. Listen to this quote. You cannot keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. Danke schön, Martin Luther. What is he saying there? See, this is really, this is a great quote. Because there is unnecessary guilt and condemnation. What, what he's saying in this quote is, we aren't sinning when a bird flies over our head. Meaning when a lustful thought or a potentially lustful thought floats into your mind. That's, that's not sin. I mean, that's, that's part of being a human. And what I mean is this. You're walking through the mall and you look and you go, wow, she's beautiful. Or you go, whoa, look at him. He is handsome. Do you think he's from Canada? Right, you don't... <laughs> We needed to laugh. It was getting a little intense in here. <clears throat> That's normal. That's normal. The danger starts when we, cr- the, the time when we cross the line is when the bird lands on our head and starts building a nest, when we start entertaining the thoughts. That's number one. Number two, <clears throat> we need to recognize that we are in a spiritual battle. And that we have an enemy whose primary uh, front of attack is right here. It's in our thought life. And we have an enemy who is constantly feeding us <clears throat> dangerous thoughts. Uh, they, they, can be, they can be thoughts regarding sexual, or sexual things, anger, greed, comparisons, jealousy, so, just all this stuff that he's, birds, if you will, that he's sending our way, hoping that we'll grab onto one of those birds and let it build a nest in our hair. So how do we fight the spiritual battle going on in our minds? Spiritual battles require spiritual weapons, right? Human weapons, what we bring to the fight, if you will, our efforts, our self-discipline, our perseverance, I mean, those are all necessary in this fight, but they are not enough. On their, on their own, they, they won't win the battle. 2 Corinthians 10 says this, <clears throat> For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, the weapons we fight with as followers of Jesus, <clears throat> they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So what he's saying there is this. <clears throat> we need to join our efforts, our human efforts, to God's, 
to, what, to God's divine power, to the weapons that God have. The, his weapons have the ability to demolish demonic strongholds, to take care of those birds. And, and so what that really means is by, by joining our effort to God's is it's coming under his authority. And here's a quote from Dallas Willard helps us understand that. Give up on self-control. You want God control. And once you have God control, it will be... Uh, God control, it will be followed by self-control, which is one of the gifts of the Spirit. So it starts by us submitting to the authority of God, the rule of God, and then this is our part. It says, we take captive the thoughts and hold them up against God's intent. Meaning a bird flies by and lands on your head. You grab the bird. No birds were injured for uh, for this story. But you grab the bird and you hold it up against God's intent. Does that thought, whether it's about sexual things, anger, whatever it is, does it line up with the heart of God? Right? And what is what, what the law, all the laws, 613, all the laws, all the prophets, what are they summed up with? Love God, love others. Put it right up against that. Does it line up with that? No. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. So to end off, we're gonna look at some, some of the weapons that we fight with. The first one is confession and repentance. And the enemy does his best work in the hidden areas of our lives. And, and when you talk about lust and pornography, there is so much shame and hiddenness around this kind of a topic. And, you know, and, and we don't rate sin, like, well, this sin is, this sin's on the okay side, whoa. The, like, we don't rate sin, but there is something about sexual sin because you're sinning against your body. But there's something about sexual sin that leaves a dirty residue. And so to, to deal with that, we have confession, the gift of confession. And what is that? That's when you go to a Christian brother or sister, and preferably someone who's walked a little longer with Jesus than you, you know, it could be a small group leader, it could be a pastor, just someone that you know. It's where guys go to guys, girls go to girls, and basically you go to them. Confession is you telling yourself, hey, let me tell you what I've been looking at. Let me tell you what I've, what I've been doing. Basically what you're doing is you're taking the, the sin out of the darkness where it has control over you, has a hold on you, and you're bringing it out into the light. And in, and in the light then, there's a, it makes room for forgiveness where in, in the presence of that brother or sister, they're able to pray for us and we're able to receive God's forgiveness. And how does God forgive us? Here's what I love. 1 John 1, 9 says, uh, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and what? And to cleanse us, to wash us from all unrighteousness, from all, uh, from all of our sins, Next one, uh, uh, next weapon is we need to guard our eye gates, meaning we need to understand that whatever we allow into our eyes is feeding something inside of us. So we need to be aware, just, just like you're, you want to be careful what you eat for, to have a healthy physical body, you want to be careful what you consume with your eyes. And that can be avoiding negative, but that can be grabbing onto the positive. That means reading your Bible. That means, that means uh, just being aware that to have a healthy soul, I need to be in tune with what am I taking into my eyes. Uh, another weapon is worship. Worship is way more than just singing a song. I mean, what we did this morning was, is wonderful and right, and it is worship, but it's just a small part of worship. 
We gather this morning and we sing, we declare our love to God, we declare our trust in God, we declare our submission to God. You are God, I am not. You're the king, I am not. But then when we leave here in a little bit, get back into our everyday lives, that's when we get to continue our song. That's when we get to continue our worship. And this is the bigger part of what worship really means. We get to continue that song that we've been singing in the way that we uh, live our lives, in the, way that we, in the ways that we treat each other. Romans 12.1 says this, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. And you know, for some of you today, whether you're male or female, whether you're married or single, whether you're gay or straight, your greatest gift of worship to God today would be to crawl up on that altar, a living sacrifice. And then what I mean is to, to come before God and lift up, offer up, re-offer up to him your sexuality. Right? Remember last weekend, JT was talking about making exchanges. It's like, Look what I've done, God, with the gift you've given me. I've messed it up. I've, I've burnt myself. I've burnt others. I'm, I'm going to give that back to you. Now, can you teach me? Can you teach me how to use this gift that you've given? Now, I'm going to end with this. Why is all this important? Right? Why, why is all this important, what I'm saying? Well, uh, this kind of talk is super, super necessary. One, because of just the culture and times we live in, but more importantly, because what I'm saying today and what I'm pointing at is really the heart of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is sitting down with his followers, and he's saying, this is who I want you to be. This is how I want you to life. And really what he's saying is, this is how I want to heal you and restore you. Because he knows how broken we are. He knows how weak we are. This is how I want to heal you, how I want to restore you, because it's my plan that when you live your lives that you would not walk to the beat of the culture's drum, but you would walk to the beat of my drum. And that in doing that, that you would be salt and light to the world. That you, you would literally live your life in such a way that you would be an example to other people around you. A hope-giving Example to other people around you on, on how to safely handle fire. See, because I believe that is, you know, if you, our culture, it, it's, it's like it's getting darker. And I believe God's intent and, and, and what he wants to make us as a church, he wants to make us like a big old lighthouse that is just shining through the darkness to the world. And, and that bright light is like it's giving hope and uh, an and invitation to the weary and to the lonely, and I also believe, consider this, when the culture says to children, when the culture says to teenagers, when the culture says to everyone, go play with fire, when the culture is saying that, I mean, we see it already, just the, the fall out of that and how destructive that is already, but just think as the years go on and as that is encouraged in our culture, the, the fallout is gonna be enormous, and I believe that we're alive at this time in history as the church to be to the world a hospital, to be like a, a kingdom burn unit 
for all the sexually broken people, all the people, gay or straight, who have bought into the lie of the culture and are literally out right now burning themselves and hurting themselves, that we get to be, as, as followers of Jesus, we get to be the people that say, no, 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 that's not what you were made for. That was not God's intent. Come on in. Come meet Jesus and let him heal you and let him teach you. Why, why don't we stand up? <clears throat> Let's just, uh, just take a minute to quiet ourselves. So Lord, I, I, I love this truth that, that Jesus, we're looking at a sermon you gave and, uh, and I love the fact that the one who gave that sermon is here with us. Lord, you have walked with men and women, young and old, for centuries. You get us. So I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would come close. Just come, move among us right now. Come, Lord. Thank you for the safety there is in your presence. Hmm. And as soon as I started praying, I just saw this mental image of, of the doors bursting open and all these doctors and nurses came running into the room because there's people here today that you, you don't just have scars, you have open wounds right now. And God's heart towards you is not one of condemnation. It's, it's a father who says, come here, let me help you. So Lord, I bless the ways you're coming close right now. You are the healer of healers. And I pray for those who, who have open wounds that you would come and touch them right now. Just come, Lord. Come, Lord. Here's how we're going to end off. Uh, JT's going to lead us in a song. And, uh, you know, we typically we invite folks forward to come on up to respond, to come on up to come before the Lord and have someone pray for you. And, and today, I do want to invite people forward, but I, but I just want you to come to the Lord. It's just between you and him. We won't have, we won't have people praying for you. But uh, there's, a, there's three groups, I think, four, maybe four. <laughs> One is for marriages, couples that are here today. I just want to give you an opportunity to come forward, come before the Lord as husband and wife, and just renew your covenant, renew your marriage vows to each other before the Lord. I also want to invite people who, uh, uh, you know your thought life is a struggle, and you know that many times it's getting the upper hand on you. And I would just invite you to come forward. Just come to the Lord and offer up again. Offer that up to him again and make that exchange. I also, um, just for the people, uh, just to, to say it again about that, you know, God hates divorce. He doesn't hate people who have been divorced. 
And some of you, I just, I want to invite you to come before Jesus because he wants to take that label off of you and, 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 and to pour his love on you. Uh, and then one more was just um, this whole thing of fire that some of you, uh, you've, you've had fire thrown on you. Someone else has, has, put, has thrown their fire on you. They've used you. And I know that's super sensitive and painful, um, but I want to encourage you, if that's you, if that's you, come on up. JT's going to play a song. The front is open. Come to Jesus, and then in a little bit, I'll end off the service. So come on up.